your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast more delayed than Brexit Brought to you by Worry-Free Living It's our problem-free Philosophy Worry-Free Living did you know that Hakuna Matata roughly translates as slave labour? <laughs> I thought it was like literally a bang on translation, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Hello there. Um, you're listening to Stick Around, if anyone still is. Um, we've been gone a while. Um, Clive's been um, busy finding himself uh, on uh. in Asia. Michael's been living as a U-boat commander. And I've just been in <laughs> Teesside as usual. Um, uh, this is Stick Around Films, the comically late best of tw- uh, 2018. <laughs> three months, yeah. maybe nearly four months into 2019. Um, it's not comically doing? late though, because this is this is exactly the time of year that all publications should do this. I maintain that. <laughs> Gives everything an equal chance, maybe. Yes. I don't know okay. if everything ever has an equal chance, but you know what I mean. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, as it's been so long, how 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 is everyone doing? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm um, I'm hungover. I mean, like <laughs> to be fair, anyone who's a keen listener of this podcast will know that I'm usually hungover when recording, which makes it sound <laughs> yeah, like true, I've got a problem. Which um, <laughs> maybe you just maybe, maybe you just I do have a problem now. <laughs> maybe I'm having one of those moments now. Um, who knows? You're in denial. Also missing half a lip, aren't you? Yeah, I know. I had a uh, an oven pizza related incident yet last night. Um, <laughs> Cheese, conge- hot cheese congealed around my lip, and um, now I've got like a big swollen red mass instead of a bottom lip. So, so you couldn't wait to eat the pizza. Was this a patience issue? Um, pretty much, yeah. You know, like when you just get it out and you're just like, yeah, I've had a few few bevies, bevies here. I'm gonna <laughs> knock back of this pizza, and then it just dragged the cheese off. As so, if you hear a little whining sound while we're recording. Don't worry, that's just me in excruciating pain. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we often hear a little whining sound from you, so this will just be a little bit different. <laughs> Michael, have you been up to much? Not really, no. Same old, same old. <laughs> Nothing to report. Oh, great. Wow. Cool story, well done, guys. Bro. Well, uh, done. <laughs> one guy's burnt his lip. Just lie. The guy's done fuck all. <laughs> just lie. No, there's too many lies. Yeah, Make we're in the entertainment up. biz here, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, let's get, as I said, the comically late best of 2018 list for Stick Around Films going. We're going to go, first of all, to the man with no stories, Michael Johnson. What have you got for his your number five? <laughs> It's quite catchy, actually. I might run with that. The man, the man with, no, with stories. no stories. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no one asked me about my story, but yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> whatever. Would you? Would you? We'll get your story later, Clive. <laughs> well, it's quite long, isn't it? Um, I'll send him the. Fi- I'll send him the fifty-page file. Um, right. <laughs> uh, Michael, go on. <laughs> Maybe we that should was, explain our process a bit beforehand. That as well, was actually. seamless. Just to make sure we all know what we're doing. Okay, so we're going to do a top five each. 
And at number yeah. five, I've got a film that we did previously discuss on the podcast, as I recall. Uh, Hereditary. Ari Aster's directorial debut. Much discussed directorial debut from this past year. Um, a ve- deeply unsettling horror film. Uh, superbly performed. Um, the atmospherics of it are uh, quite something. It's... Uh, but got a great score as well, which really I think you know really adds a lot to it to the atmosphere that I mentioned, uh, and is much like the film itself, extremely unsettling. Uh, there was a bit of a disparity between what audiences thought of it and what uh, critics seemed to think, but I'd come down on the uh, the latter side. Um, a lot of people, I think, I, th- I did think some people were reaching by suggesting that it reinvented the horror film for a modern audience or whatever. Um, I don't think it does that, but I think what it does is it um, you know, it references a lot of the touchstones of classic uh, American horror films. A lot of the scenes are unforgettable. I thought thought it was um, marketed superbly, in that I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming we can uh, we can do a bit of spoilers now that we're doing a best of, but bas- yeah, it seemed as if it was going to uh, really. Um, you know, play heavily from trailers and promotional material on the uh, the creepy child trope that is standard in uh, in horror films. But then that gets sort of wiped out about a third of the way into the film, which was genuinely shocking. I really appreciated that. In I think it shows how a film can be marketed and not give things away and be really effective in that way. The ending is a little bit uh, strange, and I found some of it a bit confusing narratively towards the end. I don't think it matters that it doesn't really put all its cards clearly on the table, but um, you know it, it's a bit jumbled. But at the end, but I'm not going to. Uh, I don't think that detracts heavily from it. I think it's a film film that's more about feel than anything, and really stays with you afterwards uh, for quite a while. I've rewatched it since I first saw it, and it held up on a second viewing as well. So I, I, I do love horror, but I think it's really very good. So I'm delighted to be able to put one uh, in my top five for the year. Absolutely. So it's also my it's also my number five as well. Um, so hereditary. I mean, I I can't really add a lot to that other than Michael said, except for the fact that uh, I think Tony Collette is superb in it. Although um, I have had it from other people that they didn't think she was good at all, but I thought she was unbelievable. Um, mm, surprising. I, I haven't I haven't heard that from anyone. Yeah, I'm, I think as well. Um, it should be noted with Alex Wolf and the guy who plays the the teenage son. I thought it was particularly superb as well. I mean, I think Hereditary's got that whole thing going for it, a bit like um, the Babadook, where you know, is it mental health? Is it real? Um, I think, to be honest with you, I think this one's more down the line, more straight down the line than say something like the Babadook, which is almost metaphorical. But it absolutely, you know, terrified me. Um, like, you know, when you get that feeling of utter dread. Yeah, and, that's pretty much what the film is, yeah. I mean, like, it's not so much jump scares as it, as it is, you know, making you just, like, please don't go around that corner, please don't do that. Um, rarely have I experienced that, probably most noticeably in Mulholland Drive, probably still the scariest scene in all the film. Um, if you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. Um, Clive, I believe you caked your pants to this one this morning, is that right? <laughs> Uh, well, I actually did uh, the the cardinal sin of watching it in two parts purely because I was watching it at about midnight last night. Silly mistake. Um, everyone was in bed, got about halfway through it, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to sleep if I finish this. 
<laughs> now seems like a good place to stop. And then I finished it this morning when it was a bit more palatable. Um, mm. So, yeah. I Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's just a constant uh, <laughs> feeling of dread. I really liked it. I thought it was great. It's not made my top five, but yeah, definitely. I definitely thought it was great. I haven't really considered where I'd put it in my list purely because I just had to consider if it was going to make my top five or not, and it hasn't quite. But that's probably more to do with its genre than, than much else. I didn't like it quite as much as Babadook and um, like Get Out, which are kind of horrors that um, I've watched recently as well. It's yeah. not a genre that I watch much, but I can totally see why... Um, you guys have put it in your top five and it, it it was excellent. I think, I guess it just had less of a other stuff going on rather than just the horror that it did really well. Than yeah. Those two it, films maybe did. It's, it's more, like I said, it's more straight down the middle. It's more just a horror yeah. film. It's not really talking about any issue like, you know, Babadook mental health, get out, you know, inherent societal racism. Um, you know, it's not that it's just a pure horror film, but it is done. It is done very, very well. Um, there's, I thought I mean, the uh, the use sorry to interrupt the use of the um, the miniatures was particularly effective. I thought it was yes. you know, it was suitably creepy. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about it for this list, and I haven't seen it since I saw it at the cinema, which was a long time ago. Um, but I still get shudders thinking about scenes from it. Um, mm. It's one of those films that comes under the category of great film, not positive. I really want to see it again, despite how great it was, because it's so horrifying. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely. That that means it's done it's done its jobs, surely. Uh. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely a lot of <clears throat> memorable scenes in it. I agree, for sure. Um, just for so people know what we're doing, we're going to go through our top five all the way to one. So a little bit different from what we did last year, and then we're going to cut each other's uh, and try and come up with a consensus list as well. So this bit may be a little bit quicker than it normally is because we'll also have defences, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll probably just kind of have very summary reviews in this stage and then at the end we'll try and come up with a consensus top five and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But it's now my number five, which just changed this morning, um, which I'll go into later wow. when I mention wow. <laughs> when I mentioned another film I watched. <laughs> um, yeah, Crammer. Well, I just read your guys' lists and then um, it made me want to watch a couple of things. So, so, so I did. Hereditary was one of them. And uh, the other film I'm going to mention later on was, was another one. Um, but my number five, it's, number five was my hardest. It's always the hardest position, I think, to, to pick because it's not the state. I think the first ones you're like really passionate. You're like, yeah, okay, that's there. And then the fifth one is a bit more like where you, yeah, I, bl- I bloody loved all these, but I'm not really sure which one to put on. Uh, and that's kind of how I feel. But I've gone for Lady Bird, which is a film which came out right near the start of the year, I think, didn't it? Probably February or something. It's certainly been a while since I've seen it, so I don't feel all that uh, great about <laughs> talking about it in too much depth. But um, essentially, it's about a California high school student who kind of uh, escapes her family to a small town, who wants to escape her family to a small town uh, by going to a college in New York. Um, it's stars, well, it's directed by Greta Gerwig, stars, um, is it Shea Ronan? Shea Sir Ronan. <laughs> Irish name, right? I think you are the only person in Britain, apart from home, knows how to say that, Alex. That, <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's assuming that you're right. I don't know. I am definitely right, I promise you. <laughs> He's always right. It sounds always. right. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> sounds better. Mine had too many shs in it. Sure. <laughs> it wouldn't work. Uh, Laurie Metcalf, thanks for having a name that's more easy to pronounce. Tracy Letts, <laughs> Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet. Um, lovely. Nice. What's... Um, what do you call um, alliterations when the first letters are the same? What about Assonance. when like, the ending? Oh, yeah. Oh, heck. Oh. <laughs> trust, my, oh. trust Michael to, to know that. 
<laughs> that's a great word, assonance. It's great because it's got I, the word assonance. I feel like it would be a good name for a wrestler whose gimmick is that he's a grammar Nazi or something similar. <laughs> Mr. Assonance. <laughs> yeah, because it kind of sounds quite aggressive. For something yeah, it that does, yeah. Very aggressive. It does, yeah. Um, right, anyway, about Ladybird. So, Searche, <laughs> I'm going to keep saying Searche by accident. Searche Ronan is absolutely fantastic. She plays, um, yeah, like this really kind of quirky, and I think that's a lot of the criticism of the film has been, oh, it's the standard quirky uh, central character thing, um, which I disagree with. But I just loved the... It's a, a slice-of-life thing, which I like. It's a um, coming-of-age film, again, which I like, so it kind of ticks all those boxes, which is possibly why it's this high up. But it's a, it's a really bloody good one. Um, the thing that I loved about it the most is I think it's a really great look into like a complex mother-daughter relationship, and um, it's refreshing to see this tale told from a female perspective, um, which I thought was fantastic, and also that romance wasn't the end goal. There was some romance in there, but it certainly wasn't the end goal. It was all about her kind of personal development and, and that kind of thing. And I think what really makes the film shine is the way that the characters bounce off each other, the, the mum and daughter specifically, but all the other characters that come in, the sort of lesser ones as well. The family dynamic feels really real. Um, it just, it feels like really real and yet also it's cinematic in a way. I don't know how to explain that, but you have to guess the way it's shot and things. It feels both it, at times a little bit hyper real, but also more cinematic than that um yeah i just thought it was fantastic it's like i say it's been i kind of wish i'd seen this again before i did the list because it has been that bloody long uh, since i saw it that um i can't exactly remember all the intricacies of everything but um yeah i really loved it it's definitely it's what i've decided to end up putting at my number five i'll probably mention the other ones that were competing um certainly hereditary was one of them i'll mention one of the other ones later on when when we get to it in your lists <laughs> but um yeah my number five is ladybird mm. which um you've both seen right yeah i i, I was yeah. a big fan of it as well um it came close to me my top five um i think if i was doing a top 10 it would come in at number six or number seven um i loved it for all the reasons you've mentioned there um i think in particular um i just liked how i don't know naturalistic it felt how um unmelodramatic it was mm. um and like you said it feel it feels like we just stepped into a life very briefly yeah nothing particularly dramatic happens but that didn't make any difference it was um yeah i, I loved it but it didn't quite make my cut not quite i haven't cool. actually seen it so oh okay cool yeah well that's highly recommended thank you which means we're on we're on to our uh, number fours <laughs> Cool. Uh, well, I'll take over at this point then and mention my number four, uh, which is a film that I believe is going to show up on Michael's list as well. Um, it feels very much like a 2017 film. I mean, worldwide release it was, uh, but it came out in the UK in 2018. So it was the Oscar winner for that year, um, The Shape of Water. Um, Guillermo, del, Guillermo del Toro directed film uh, starring, starring a variety of people. Um, I feel like I'm, you don't. Nobody needs me to read through a list of cast, um, but I think standouts were uh, Sally Hawkins, um, Octavia Spencer, and and Michael Shannon. Really, um, it, it's it's essentially. I mean, it borders on ma magic realism, uh, which is something that I don't always get along with. But um, I think in the right hands of, of a proper auteur like Del Toro, I loved it. 
Um, if you t told me that I, you could make a genuinely engaging romantic film um, about a fish man and a woman, um, <laughs> I'd have called that absurd. Um, but, you know, it does. I, I really bought into it and I was um, swept up by it in, in all the best ways kind of like a Hollywood romance does. Um, it was somehow a knowing tribute to, you know, sweeping romances, um, you know, old age, sci-fi, um, just everything that Del Toro loves. It's, you know, a little bit of horror, dark fantasy, whatever you want to call it. But um, I thought it was actually a, a pretty worthy winner of um, the Oscar Best Picture, um, which is more than can be said for this year's atrocity. But um <laughs> You know, I thought um, I thought it was an incredible. I think he's a, a pretty singular filmmaker. Really, you can be watching his film, and it's difficult to imagine it's being done by anybody else. He's that good and that original. Um, not quite as good as Pan's Labyrinth, which is my favourite of his. But um, wow, I, I, I was pretty blown away with it by it. It feel, like I said, it almost feels wrong put it in these lists. But we've got a rule of UK releases twenty eighteen, so. You know, it couldn't make the list last year, so it makes it this year. I, I was a big fan anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I might as well talk about it now, shall I? I've got it at number three on my list. Cool. Um, I mean, not much to add to that, but I thought... I mean, visually, I thought it was pretty stunning. It looked amazing. Um, the use of colour, I thought, really stayed with me, specifically green. There's a lot of green in this film. Yeah. Uh, key lime pie has never looked so good Ooh. as it does in this film. <laughs> um and I just thought it was an appeal. It was certainly nostalgic, um, in a in a sense, I think. But it was it felt like an appeal to, for a kinder, gentler world, which is exactly what we what we need. And unfortunately, I think it, the the film itself inadvertently sums up the problem because a lot of people couldn't engage with the film because they couldn't open their minds to it, the concept of it that Alex described, which is exactly uh, why that sort of appeal falls down, sadly. But um, that's what I, that's what I felt. I felt like it in that in that sense. It was a, a really warm film, like as 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 warm a film as I can as I can remember seeing in recent years, and I really liked it for that. Mm. Get anywhere near your list, Clive? Um, it's. I'm just looking at my list here. It's at number twelve before I added the two. So it'll be be my top fifteen. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, which which is no no insult whatsoever. Um, I absolutely loved pretty much everything in my mm. top 15. So, yeah, I was also a really, really big fan of it. I guess it didn't affect me, like, um, on an emotional level or something like that, um, which is probably why it's a bit further down. But the filmmaking was superb. Um, I thought the, the, the bad guy in it in particular was something that stuck with me. I thought, Yeah, Michael Shannon, yeah. Um, who, which is something that I think is a weakness in a lot of films. Um, but I think they nailed it. And, yeah, like you say, the, the, the kind of colour palette and the, the way everything, the kind of sheen on everything. And, uh, yeah, it's really... Really, really gorgeous film. So I could definitely see why you guys have got it in your top five. <laughs> mm. Right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Michael, uh, why don't you tell us your... We've, we already know what your number three was. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. What was your number four? Yeah, four... Well, I mean, um, Clive mentioned a couple of films that nearly made his list, so I'm just going to just gonna mention them for a, a reason. Oh, one sure. Was, okay. One was um, Black Panther, which I thought was the best Marvel film I've seen. Um, nearly got in there. Another was uh, Steve McQueen's Widows, which I think has been quite overlooked uh, at the end of the year by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just mentioned that specifically because it is a effectively a heist film. And the film I've got up for is part partly a heist film. Weirdly, it's a sort of combination of true crime and a heist film. It's uh, American Animals, 
which is the only the second film by Bartle Ayrton, who made The Imposter, is it, Alex? I think it's one it of your is, favourites. Yeah. yeah, incredible documentary. I won't say anything about it, and if you're going to watch it, don't look it up. It's incredible. <laughs> right, because I haven't seen it myself, but um, no, I really loved uh, American Animals, which left an impression on me. Uh, it always raises eyebrows when a trailer uh, features some, um, some criticism from someone uh, calling it a game-changer, which my natural inclination when I see that is to doubt that. But this is a film where I can actually see what they mean because I thought, I'm not the biggest fan of true crime, I'm not into the podcasts and all that sort of thing. And obviously it's really expanded in recent years. Um, but I thought this was a masterpiece of that genre, really. It follows the uh, planning and um, attempted execution of a theft of uh, an extremely valuable uh, book, The Birds of America, from Transylvania University's library in Kentucky in 2004 by a group of students at the university. It's a true story. And it it blends interviews with the actual protagonists uh, with a dramatic portrayal of the events. Uh, and when I say blend, I do mean that because it, it melds them together at key moments. It sort of inserts people into the uh, into the narrative of the story part and it allows to make for it, it allows the viewer to question, you know, the possibility of uh, unreliable narrators, um, and it, it really opens up new possibilities for true crime in that sense. I think uh, the story is, uh, <clears throat> as I say, it's a, as a, as a heist film, it's gripping in its own right. I particularly like the uh, performance of um, one of the main actors, Barry. I don't know how to pronounce his surname. It's Keegan. Or something, uh, something of, of that sort. Yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, he's an, he's an emergent Irish actor who I also loved in um, Yorgos Lanthimos's last film, Before the Favourite, uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, and he's very good in this. Uh, I was also I was going to mention Anne Dowd um, in relation to Hereditary earlier. I was going to say Hereditary proves that you should never trust Anne Dowd. Oh no, uh, of course not. But, <laughs> of course not. but I didn't mention it because in this film she plays a thoroughly trustworthy uh, character. So that's an interesting counterpoint to that. Um, but yeah, as I said, this I think this this film was is highly watchable. I think it's, it was really gripping when I saw it, and I think it genuinely makes strides uh, within true crime. And it's a fascinating story as well that I didn't know of. Um, and just just the way the film's constructed and uh, the way it plays out uh, makes for some interesting narrative opportunities. I think uh, this this was quite close to making my top five as well. Um, it was I really enjoyed it for again very similar reasons to Michael. Um, I think it, I don't think I've ever seen that done before. By the way, where it's you know essentially a full dramatization, but with um, you know documentary elements you know i've seen it where there's they've done a documentary where they've had a really you know small kind of non-acted dramatization but I've, i don't think i've seen the full meld before mm-hmm. um and i thought it was um i thought it was tense despite the fact it's a relatively small low-key crime it was tense it was gripping like you knew that they weren't going to get away with it you knew it but um it didn't matter it, it was gripping um I just think it was just a bit different. Um, like, I didn't know going in that it was going to have those documentary elements. Yeah, it's and, quite surprising, I think, when you see that. Yeah. yeah. It was a bit of a... Well, it was a bit of a game change in that respect. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to say it changed my worldview or anything like that, but it was it was a really, really gripping thriller. And often, I mean, I've got a documentary later in my top five, 
often I think um, documentaries are as gripping, if not more gripping, than narrative tales. But just because once our be. brain, once our brains got, you know, you know, just accepts the fact that something is is happening or has happened, suddenly we're like, what? No way! <laughs> yeah, it's an easier uh, it's easier to grip you, I think, with a documentary because you're like, oh, this is real. Um, I think a narrative, uh, like a, a fictional piece, has to work harder to get you to get you in. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you, did you see this one, Clive? Um, I've not. No, this is definitely one I want to see, though. Um, you're selling it to me very much so, but unfortunately I haven't got around to watching this one. I think this is, yeah, possibly one of the few of everyone's list that I've not seen. Cool. Right, well, we're over to you, Clive. Um, I'm not sure oh, if, it, if it's your number four or number three. It's my number four now, um, which is uh, one that I don't think any of you have seen, um, called Lean on Pete, which no, is uh, one of one, one of two excellent films involving horses that I've seen uh, this year. The other one is called <laughs> I wonder The if Rider. Michael, I wonder if Michael Owen's seen it. Yeah, he loves a good horse. <laughs> well, he loves a horse, but he hates a movie, so it, who knows? He hates films, yeah, his... but uh, what wasn't Seabiscuit in his top ten? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Tragically. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we should ask him. Yeah, the rider is also very good. Um, that made my top ten. It's also got a horse in it. I'll, I'll, I'll send Michael Owen a tweet now and see if, if he gets back to us. We'll include his response in the recording. See if his see if his list's changed. I should right. say, I'd, as I recall, I don't think it was a list of his. It was a list of his top ten, but it was the top. It was just ten films he'd seen. I don't think he actually liked any of them. Right. Yeah. Well, here we go. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll we'll do it live. So you, you battle that out. Win. Um, what did you think about Lean on Pete? Did you see it? Um, I'll with your review. I'll let you know if you, if you respond. Um, okay. Well, I'm sure he's busy at the minute doing fuck all. Um, right. <laughs> Lean on Pete is a it's a film directed by Andrew Haig. Haig, yeah, Haig, and it's based on the novel of the same name by Willy Vlotin. Is how I'm pronouncing it. Oh, that was um, amazing. Can you do that again? <laughs> <laughs> Willie Vlotin. <laughs> Willie Vlotin is probably going to call me up and go, what the fuck? You racist twat, that's not... <laughs> I don't even know where he's from, so... Sounded yeah. Dutch familiar. Well, I don't think he is. I, I'm thinking Eastern Europe. Well, the, the surname sounds Eastern European, I reckon. Um, anyway, it's uh, about Charlie, played conveniently by another guy called Charlie, Charlie Plummer. Um, who lives with his far- single father, Ray. Unfortunately, he doesn't play someone of the same name. His, na- his actual name is Travis Fimmel. <laughs> and uh, in Portland, he stumbles upon a job looking after horses with uh, an eccentric racehorse, racehorse trainer, Dell. Again, they fucked up a bit here and got not couldn't find anyone called Dell, I suppose, because they're probably all about 80. Um, and we got in <laughs> Steve Buscemi for that role. So, um, which, I mean, Steve doesn't sound anything like Dell. I don't know how the fuck he managed Um, as things progress Charlie kind of feels more and more alienated and discovers that the the horse he's been looking after is about to be sent to Mexico to to be slaughtered so he he decides to run off with it as as I probably would in his situation because I like animals and I can't deal with the thought of them being slaughtered even though I do sometimes I have eaten some meat once Um, I guess I'm as bad as everyone else once Um, (laughs) so the the (laughs) Sorry. 
<laughs> the film it moves along at it's a really natural pace to it. Nothing feels rushed. Um the sequence there's loads of sequences where Charlie's just like walking through a field with his horse, go it just goes on for ages. And you some people I think have criticized it for being too long. I, I really like that. I think it, it sucked you into the feeling of actually not that I've ever walked along anywhere with a horse, um, but I have walked through fields on my own. And it was a similar, you know, it comes across that feeling of like just being out there on your own. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily running away from anything when I've been traveling, but um, what it's that feeling of just being a bit of a nomad uh, traveling around, I think it portrays that really, really well. I think for me, uh, why for me is this, this is evoking Theresa May in the wheat field. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's probably why I like this film so much. Right, yeah. The thought of Theresa May in a wheat field is just. <laughs> I just want everything to portray that. Um, yeah, another so, reason why Clive is almost identical to Theresa May. <laughs> I am basically the same person. Um, really, sort of human. Well, pretends to be really human and like people, but actually just a massive shit. Yeah. Um, that's. Although she is better at dancing than you, though, so... <laughs> Whoa, mate. I would, I would argue on like robotic. A <laughs> <laughs> um, that did as well. Um, right, pl- so Plummer, Plummer, Charlie Plummer, of, who's playing Charlie, his performance is memorable in its subtlety. Because um, he's just, I don't know, he's got this really... He's really humble the, the, the way he acts. He, he comes across as never overacts anything. Um, the scene, there's a lot of he's pretty much in every scene in the bloody film. But um, he's never taken over the scene. He doesn't chew the scenery, as uh, people in this thing like to say. Um, he just yes yeah, sits in the background. Um, it's perfectly believable. He's you know a perfectly believable kind of teenager, con, uh, conflicted kind of teenager, grown up um, and ha- having more problems to deal with than most of us do. But um, it's very believable. I think his performance is a lot of what makes the film super, super great. Um, Buscemi also deserves a mention. He plays this kind of cheating, cynical, but also good-hearted trainer, uh, which could easily be a really cliched role, but he plays it in a way that doesn't feel at all cliched, I don't think. Um, and he, he feels exactly like the kind of guy you'd meet at one of these, <laughs> if you went to one of these uh, like horse races, um, the kind of trainers you might meet. It's the the flashiest part of the film is definitely the cinematography. I've mentioned that you've got like you know plumber walking through fields for ages. Um, the reason that works is because it every when he is walking through a field, it looks absolutely fucking amazing. And even though the scenes were really long of him walking through a field, at one point I just paused it because I was like, this is just I just sat there and stared at the screen and was like this that, that's ridiculous because um, it looked that good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Flash. so it's a, it's a beautiful film cinematography wise but also it tells this really kind of um again it's almost a little bit slice of life but it does have the difference with this one is i think um it's got a really really i think a lot of slice of life films <laughs> my friend uh, paul has got a classic one he always says and i think i've mentioned this before is this one of them films that just kind of ends like that just goes bam and then it's finished um <laughs> that's his description of most indie films um this one doesn't actually fit that description but i think it works i quite like the just cut it off and uh, that's it done um, I'm, I'm a fan of that kind of ending rather than sort of uh, just tying up all the knots for no good reason um this one has a more like an offending that, an ending that really affected me um even though i suppose you could say it was a little bit cheesy but i don't think so i think it was really really great um I thought it was perfect. So yeah, a really kind of humble film that I really, really loved. And um, it's been a good good year for horses. Well, we'll let uh, Michael Owen be the judge of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, he has responded, by the way. 
No. Um, I said to Michael, um, hi, Michael, uh, have you seen Lean on Pete? And if so, what was your thoughts? His response, no. <laughs> well, I have driven a Ferrari. Um, um, would you like to hear my yeah, thoughts on so that? I have nothing to add on the film, except that I wanted to see it. Um, I still might see it. It's, you know, if it turns up on some streaming service, I will be all over it, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, but I feel like, although it would have ruined the film probably, I feel like it would have been amazing if, as well as having the same name, he'd played a plumber as well. Oh, mate. Oh, yeah, Missed the trick. Yeah, he should have. They could have easily squeezed that in as well, because at the start of the film, he's kind of dotting about, not doing much. He could have he could just have maybe got sacked. He could have got sacked maybe from a plumbing job, or yeah, or oh, dad, dad's like, well, I've got work today, but my pipes just burst. Do you mind uh, fixing that, Charlie Plumber? Um, like, oh yeah, actually, I will fix that because my surname's Plumber, and your surname's probably Plumber as well because you're my dad. But but you're busy at work, so I'll do it. Painfully messy. Yeah. yeah. That would be brilliant. Mm. I'm going to ring him up, actually, the director. I've forgotten his name. Um, something ending in GH. <laughs> anyway, right. Wow. <laughs> so many possibilities. So many, so many. Uh, let's move on. So, uh, Alex, I'm going to leave it back to you. Put, put this train back on the tracks, please, because I'm lost. Right. Okay. Okay. So I'm it's going to talk about... Off. We're going to talk about my number three film here, which is a late entrance to this, actually. So I saw, I've seen this film in 2019. However, it did have a UK release in cinemas in 2018, therefore it qualifies. Um, I saw it just off the telly, actually. It was just on Channel 4. Um, documentary film called Three Identical Strangers. Um, now, it's we haven't reviewed this in the podcast, so I'm not going to reveal any spoilers um, and I would hate to spoil us for anybody, but um, essentially it's a documentary film about how three literally identical strangers, three triplets, were separated at birth, lived live within a 100-mile radius, then at the age of 21 uh, suddenly found each other, and um, during the, the 80s and 90s became a bit of a, you know, a celebrity grouping, if you like. Um, it was a story that I wasn't aware of, and... You could just look at this film and think to yourself, oh, wow, that's just an amazing story. Um, but there is so much more to it. that, like, I, It's going to be hard for me to describe why this is as good as it is because um, I can't go into the backstory behind why they were separated, etc. Um, suffice to say, the reason this has gone so high on my list is, um, as opposed to most people, um, I seem to have a more of an emotional reaction to this than most. Um, mainly for reasons that, again, I can't really say without spoiling it. Um, uh, th- this one hit me right in the feels, as cool kids like to say. Um, mm. It was it it. You're it, cool. It, yeah, oh, I'm cool. Yeah, of course. You're one of the cool kids. Um, all, 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 all I can say is really, if you don't get that from it, you will still see an incredible documentary of, like, a, you know, a story which is literally couldn't be written if you wrote it it would just be too ridiculous um but it is made with the kind of skill of a, a true filmmaker so it's directed by a guy called tim wardle um and just like all the best kind of thriller documentaries it really just has you gripped from a start to finish and personally had quite an emotional reaction it's annoying that i can't go into why that is but i would hate to spoil this has anybody else seen it 
No, but this seems like the kind of thing that would be quite high up on my list because it seems right down my alley as, as the cool... Actually, that's probably not cool anymore, is it? No. That's more like sort of 40-year-olds, <laughs> more some of the 40-year-olds would say. Um, it's right down my street. Um, what I am impressed with, though, I've just looked at the poster here. I was thinking, it's, a, it's called The Most Amazing, Incredible, Remarkable True Story Ever Told. I was like, you've used too many adjectives there, mate, and they're all, the same, they're all synonyms. Then I realised three identical strangers... <laughs> see, what, see what they've done yeah. there they've the yes. used three synonyms because they're identical wow. fucking amazing so well done on the poster work um, <laughs> yeah trust me it's it's unbelievable it sounds really really good yeah I'm definitely going to have to check this out it was it was available on you know, catch up on you know like um, is it called 4OD anymore I don't know what it is but um, so all uh, four now I believe yeah anyway yeah it Soon was available box. oh Christ no no they're not involved Michael <laughs> oh they're not it's a, no, that's but yeah. So, probably the worst idea ever. You know, like. I mean, it'd be good to get rid of all that foreign shit, wouldn't it? <laughs> Thing is, right. I, un- I understand it as a business model. If you're selling it to, say, a foreign country, particularly you know, expat Brits or what you know, immigrant British immigrants. Sorry, let's get rid of that expat crap. Um, but as a service to British people in this country. What a stupid idea. This is going to lose a hell of a lot of money. If there was a way I could bet against this financially, a bit like in the big short, I would, and I'd make an absolute killing. But... No, that's what a film I want to see. <laughs> Alex Wade betting against BritBox. It turns out to be a massive hit. The not, <laughs> not, a ch- <laughs> the not quite as big, but still quite sizable short. That's what I'd call it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one thing I'll also mention as well, by the way, another documentary that um, did make my top ten actually didn't quite make the list. This is one you'll like, Clive, if you haven't seen it. Uh, Free Solo. Oh god, yeah. People keep telling me to watch this. Yeah, you, you would love it. Uh, like there is. Don't get me wrong. The guy who is the main not character, but you know the main focus of it. He's he's like you in a lot of respects, and a lot not like you at all in others. But um, you'll get what I mean when you see it. It's about a guy who likes free soloing. He's basically You're just a bit of an mad. idiot. Climbing up, <laughs> climbing up mountains without any support or ropes, and it's gripping. Not quite as good as Three Identical Strangers. I didn't have that kind of emotional reaction, but another, we're, another we're, one I'd recommend. Al, 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 were his hands gripping? Well, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well done, Clive. You've uh, you've no spoilers. Unpi- un- unpicked my uh, my wordplay there. Nice one. <laughs> Right. Um, anyway, let's move on. Um, I, I think we're back at Michael now with... Is this your number two or number three? Number three was The Shape of Water, so it would be my number two if you're ready. Go for it. Okay. Before I do, uh, I, j- I just want to mention that another film that um, nearly made my list, great film, but didn't quite make my list, was uh, the latest PTA film, Phantom Thread, uh, which came out in the UK in Ooh, 2018. Yeah. And the only reason I'm mentioning it is so I can just... Uh, mention a brilliant tweet I saw from someone this morning that is related to it. Go on, go on. So, uh, someone tweeted, uh, just found out that my mam is actually Daniel Day-Lewis p- preparing for a role. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved. Wow. <laughs> yeah, anyway, number two. At two, I've got a film I think is going to feature at least in someone else's list. Um, you were never really here. I mean, this in a lot of years, this would have been at number one for sure. 
It's virtuoso filmmaking from Lynn Ramsey, who uh, rarely uh, bothers to make a film, but uh, certainly hits uh, hits home when she does, it seems. If this film ever had any sort of um, bloat or any sort of excess to it, then she absolutely took a chainsaw to that, because it, um, it is as lean a film as you'll see. It's, I mean, it's extremely visceral, I would say, and it's um, it, it's the... My favourite uh, working actor, now that uh, the aforementioned Day Lewis has supposedly retired, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, in the verge of what seems like a breakdown, going round uh, killing paedophiles. That's basically as much as there is to it, really. Pretty effective way to use your breakdown, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to channel it, then, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um but uh, I mean, there's just I mean, within the opening moments of the f- the film, there was a scene where he's laying on a bed, sort of dangling a knife above his own head, and I'm just I'm I could barely watch it. I was just watching through uh, you know through my fingers, and then just just scenes of him just perusing which hammers to buy in a DIY store. They're just you know you wouldn't think that that could be done so artfully, but it is. I don't did I believe we will have discussed this on the podcast. I can't remember. We did, yeah, we yeah. did, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to spend all day discussing it, but it's it's really quite amazing uh, bit of filmmaking. As I say, not an uh, not an, a massive uh, film in terms of length or anything like that. Um, just you know, just really captures the uh, the brilliance that uh, that you can produce in filmmaking with with you know very little elements really. Um, so yeah, I, I would really recommend that anyone who likes cinema sees it. Mm. This, this is also my number two. Um, Lynn Ramsey is probably my favourite active filmmaker. Uh, l- like you said, she doesn't make many films, but they're always memorable. Um, I think, I mean, yet again, when I'm coming to these after you, Michael, you've encapsulated what <laughs> what it is I loved about the film anyway. Mm. Um, other things I'll mention though, um, I thought the score in particular was incredible by Johnny Greenwood. Um, of course, yeah. More, more famously, Radiohead, of course. Um, I just think, um, I think it's well known that um, there's a whole thing with film critics. I think, particularly with Mark Commode, where they say, you know, Jaws isn't really about a shark. Um, this isn't, re- you know, on essence, you could describe. I think I did describe this in my initial view as Joaquin Phoenix gets fat and hairy and brays nonces with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. really should surface, be on the DVD cover. Yeah, but like to subvert what the whole thing about sh- um, Jaws, you know, uh, you would never really hear is not really about uh, Joaquin Phoenix getting fat and hairy and bringing nonsense with a hammer. Um, it's you know, it's about kind of a man's <laughs> total breakdown, really. Um, him channeling his grief into violence. I mean, I think what the most important thing about this film is, despite how violent it is in some respects, you never clearly see any of the violence. It's always through yeah. some kind of prism. So, for example, um, one fight we see through CCTV, we see it through a mirror, which is mounted on the ceiling. Um, I think Lynn, Lynn Ramsey's making a very significant point there. This isn't just, you know, art house taken. This is... It's not gratifying in any way. No, no. I mean, the, it, this... On the same on the same subject, you don't get the ending that you uh, you know the, your human impulse is to to crave a particular ending. But film doesn't give you that, and with this film, that feels like the right thing. Absolutely, I mean, um, th- this is this is about 
violence and the kind of breakdown of humanity that it takes in somebody like Joaquin Phoenix's character, Joe, uh, for it to happen, really. And um, like you said, this is total lean filmmaking. This is pure cinema. Um, and jo- Joaquin Phoenix is as as reliably superb in this as usual. I could believe he was... When, when you see him in real life now, you think, I don't know how he did that because there's not a lot of makeup going on there. He really did just, you know, let himself go for a while. Um, <laughs> but no, I absolutely loved it. I mean, this is... Um, I've seen all of her films and they're all superb and I would heartily recommend everybody watch her back catalogue, which is not very many films. Won't take you long, yeah. Ratcatcher, Marvin Collar. Um, we need to talk about Kevin and this. Uh, I don't think I've missed one there, have I? No, don't think so. No, yeah, I, I absolutely love this. I mean, I, I think I think Clive's seen this, and I think it was close to making your top five, wasn't it, Clive? It was. It was between this and um, and, and Lady Bird, <clears throat> basically. So that's my number six. Absolutely loved it. Joaquin is absolutely great, as always. He's also got a very fantastic first name that I like to pronounce. Um, it's just, <laughs> I like to speak Spanish, so I suppose maybe that's why. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah he's, you pretty much said everything. I, I love the way that the violence was brutal, but uh, shown in a way that wasn't um, cliched. Usually it's like, let's get as close as possible and show as much blood. Um, kind of went away from that, but in a way that made it even more brutal than it would have been otherwise, I think. And yeah, it's just a really... And I think Michael's point of it being lean is spot on as well. It is really lean and it's kind of, it's one of, it's the, one of those films that's just really stuck with me. Not because it had necessarily, like you say, I think it is just about um, a guy essentially experiencing a breakdown and I think it conveys that really, really well. But it's, yeah, fabulous. Really, really good performances. Really well shot. Everything about it feels, um, I'm going to get into this later, but I think I've not seen any of others Lynn Ramsey's films, but it seems to convey like a, a personality. She's kind of put... A lot of her into it, I imagine. Yeah, um, that's it's fair very to say, yeah. singular, I suppose is how I'd put it. Like, you can watch it and go, imagine if you see other ones, it'll be like, okay, well, that's Lynn Ramsey because you can just kind of sense it. And I like that kind of director or artist or where they, you know, they make something that's kind of got their own stamp on it very much. So yeah, I think that's what this felt so. like. To such an extent, I think, that you don't realise, or I didn't at the time, that this is adapted from a book. And oh, wow. I don't, I don't okay. know what sort of style that has, but I'm sure it's different to the film mm. you know, because of Ramsey's ability to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what more can we say? I think it, this is going to, when we converge to make this uh, top five, this is going to be a strong contender. Uh, we, we shall see. Maybe somebody sure can make is. a compelling sure argument. Um, right, well, anyway, let's go on to somebody with a compelling argument. Clive. What have you got for um, next? Well, you're bigging that up, aren't you? Well, um, you've already given your number twos. I'm still on my number three here, so I feel like I've been left in the well, dust a bit. Well, stop being such a hipster and just... You know, That's the, the problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, my number three is Summer 1993, a film I raved about and a, f- a few podcasts ago, but many months ago. Um, it's a Spanish-language lang- drama film. Um, I think it might be the only foreign-language film to appear so far, at the very least. Um, it's a... Autobiographical story of Carla Simon, who, as a young girl, lost both parents to HIV and um, got adopted by uh, an uncle and um, went to live with her aunt and uncle and cousin out in the countryside. Beep! Shitty Mike post edit alert. Uh, Carla Simon is also the director. Should have mentioned that, Clive. You fucking idiot. Beep! Um, the film largely rolls around Frida, who's who's the girl, and uh, the you know who's playing essentially what Car- Carla Simon, um, the director, 
um, and her younger cousin Anna as well, who kind of becomes more of a sister since she's been adopted uh, throughout the film. Um, Frida is played by Laia Artigues and is just ugh, absolutely fantastic. She gives a performance beyond her years. I raved about child perform acting in the Florida Project, which um, got onto our top five last year, thanks to my bludgeoning. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've both seen it now, but um, yeah, at that point, no one else had seen it, and I fucking love that film. Um, in this, in this case, I think the, the acting is almost a little bit more complex, and there's a lot of times where the camera is literally just in her face, and she's conveying sort of this bubbling emotion beneath the surface that I don't know that must be really difficult to convey for an adult actor, never mind a child actor. And I think it's um, a re- real testament to the way that um, Carla Simon has directed it, and um, that. I think only she could have directed it because she herself has been through this. Um, the film's shot in like a very kind of, I mentioned hyperrealism earlier. This one is, I mentioned like Ladybird has a hyperrealist feel, but the, the way it's shot is kind of arty. This is more like it's shot in a kind of hyperreal way as well. Um, it's still beautiful just because of the fact it's set in this kind of stunning Catalan countryside house. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's really charming and picturesque. Um, but it's the way it's filmed is a little bit more hyperreal in that it feels a bit more handy cam, um, which really puts you in amongst it and makes it... Again, I mentioned this in the Florida Project, so a lot of the stuff is at the height of the kids, um, which kind of puts you more into that mindset makes it more immersive um it's a really nuanced film there's not really like the there are important plot points in the film but it's it's kind of like essentially when, when you're watching a film you're in that world so yeah it might not be in a massive plot point in terms of you know when you're watching a marvel film unless the plot point revolves around the earth beginning to blow up it's not an important plot point um because this is about a, a very small a much a smaller thing and um, the smaller things are important plot points and in this case they aren't necessarily large dramatic events but they're kind of small ones where you catch kind of a glimpse of what a certain character is feeling beneath the brave face that they're kind of putting on the whole situation you know it's difficult for both the child and obviously she's lost both parents she's now living with her aunt and uncle and she's too young to kind of process all the um kind of trauma that she's been through and all the things that her her brain are doing to her that she probably doesn't quite understand and the way she conveys that is really good but also it's difficult for the aunt and uncle to um, adopt this child and then have to deal with that as well and kind of disrupts their family dynamic and kind of the way that those kind of things come forward now and again but they're kind of all trying to put a brave face on it i thought was really really good um it isn't it's Again, it's one of those films, it's like a slice of life thing. It shows basically her being adopted and then a, a certain amount of time after that. And it doesn't show a resolution to the problem in handy little steps. It doesn't do anything like that, but that's not really how the world works. It just kind of shows the effect that such a trauma can have on a child and her extended family, um, which I think was conveyed really, really well in this film. It's, yeah. I would go as far as saying this is a masterpiece for me. I thought it was fantastic. I'm really passionate about my top three here. <laughs> so, yeah, I loved Summer 1993, and I think everyone should check it out. I would love to. Um, I don't. Is it available on any streaming services that we know of? Um, I went to see this in the cinema. I don't know yet, no. I'm not, I haven't looked. I do want to see it again, because I want to show it to my mum, so I'll have a look. But I imagine it would be rentable by now, but I've not mm-hmm. actually looked. It does sound like a. In fact, I remember being interested when you first mentioned this. Um, it it sounds absolutely superb and right up my street. Um, another one of your hipster choices, but I'm liking it, Clive. Um, <laughs> Michael, I'm guessing you haven't seen this. I don't think I'd heard of it to be honest. Uh, so no, no, I hadn't. I don't think I'd heard of it before. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, 
You should definitely check it out. Shall I do my number two before you guys do your number one? So that makes sense, doesn't Go it? For you it. both Go up for your yeah. number one, aren't you? Okay, well, my number two may appear on someone else's list later. I watched it this morning. It's a little number called um, Sorry to Bother You, um, which, Michael, do you want to talk about this? Because you'll have something ready, seeing as you didn't just watch it this morning. Um, yeah, if <laughs> you want. Yeah, to, uh... And I'll pitch in as to why it's, to my, why it's my number two. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to spoil your list. I, uh, no, that's all right. It's, uh, it's at number one on my list, certainly. Um, I mean, this is... If it wasn't for you, were never really here. Then this would have been the runaway winner. This is definitely the best film I saw last year. Um, I mean, it's it's really a matter of finding where to start. I could talk about it all day. Uh, I won't do that. But um, it's got quite an uh, quite an all star cast actually. It's the uh, it's the debut directorial film of Boots Riley of the um, mostly nineties hip hop group The Coup who's always had um, radical political stance. This film certainly carries um, some heavy criticism of capitalism. Uh, it stars Lakeith Stanfield, who is um, you know, a great actor, um, up and coming himself, who's been in some, some projects I've really enjoyed. Um, he basically plays a worker who, and I think this is a really savage, I mean, when you read this, you know that this is going to be a special film, I think. Um, a worker who um, starts working in telemarketing, but his, his career skyrockets when he adopts a white accent at his job. Other ac- actors and actresses, um, we've got uh, Tessa Thompson. Interestingly, the white, I think the white accents are cast uh, quite interestingly. We've got uh, Patton Oswalt and David Cross, the comedians. Uh, and also Lily, <laughs> Lily James randomly. Uh, I, I didn't really know that until I looked at the film uh, properly. Mm. Uh, got Danny Glover as well, of all people. Uh, uh, Terry Crews. He's barely in the film, but I think if if it's Terry Crews, that's all all that needs saying really. Terry Crews is in the film. Um, and it's I mean this it's it's a film that uh, I, I found myself sort of I mean I'm not saying I was belly laughing much maybe a couple of times. But just chuckling along through the entire film, like the script is so pointed. There's so much stuff that anyone who's worked in any sort of ultimately meaningless job will recognise, and people will see it. all the takedowns of corporate culture uh, are right there. One of my favourites in that sense is when this sort of vacuous, um, smiling uh, idiot of a woman starts working as a supervisor in the office, and she's introducing herself, and she, she introduces her name. As I think she pronounces it Diana Debocherry, <laughs> which spelled exactly debauchery. And she writes it on the she writes it on the board, and then one of them says that looks like debauchery. She goes, "Well, it isn't." <laughs> just, just love that. Um, and there's there's so much of that sort of thing. Um, Army Hammer is superbly cast as the um, the smooth and acceptable, but nonetheless disgusting uh, CEO uh, Steve Lift. From the company Worry Free that we referenced earlier, which is um, a, a company that allows workers to trade away all their freedoms uh, in exchange for not having to worry about accommodation and f- uh, putting food on the table, that sort of thing. Quite a dystopian, Black Mirror-esque sort of point that doesn't actually feel 100 miles away from where we might end up in the near future, potentially, with the world of work changing as it is. And the, the central thesis of the film is uh, is basically the clash between... Um, Cassius, the central character's um, 
he's basically been suckered into a sort of corporate um, agenda at work as his career continues to develop, being conflicted between that and uh, his partner Detroit's um, wish to organise labour, but basically to um, unionise and fight back against the corporation. She's also um, an artist in the film who, again, has a, a sort of radical political, political message. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what Riley's intention was because um, I don't know if he was intending to portray it as if people on the um, you know the radical left sometimes defeat themselves because she she sort of d- descends into um, complete absurdity with a unforgettable uh, sort of performance piece of performance art that she performs in the film. <laughs> Um, but the um, it's it's one the, when I was mentioning memorable scenes, one of the ones I was going to mention that is is stuck with me since I saw it is a scene where purely because he's black, uh, Cassius is expected to be able to rap at a party that Steve Lift throws. Oh no! I can't, uh, sorry, I'm cringing at thinking yeah. remembering this scene. Uh, that was an absolutely phenomenal scene. Immediately after that, the film really in its finals <clears throat> final third probably. It becomes uh, extremely surreal uh, in a way that I wasn't really expecting, but that I thought just sort of hammered its point home. I think some critics didn't like it because they felt like it was a patchwork of ideas. They felt it needed an editor, and as Riley's first film script, it didn't really work. Um, it didn't flow seamlessly. But I didn't really pick up on that. I don't mind points when they're being made if I agree with them completely, as I do here, being you know delivered through blunt force trauma. And I just I just connected with the film all the way through. Uh, I liked the sort of the visual style of it at times when um, when the characters make when he's making a call and they actually drops him into the living room of the person <laughs> he's calling. Yeah. I loved that. Um, so it's a great cast, um, really well executed. Uh, as I said, I thought the script was outstanding. Disappointed that even though I don't place a lot of value on Oscars, I was disappointed that it wasn't um, recognised in any sense there. Uh, I don't know if that is because of its message exactly. But, um, yeah, I thought this was the standout film of the year for me. Uh, it's exactly what cinema's all about, and I think when it comes to the end of the decade, at the end of this year, it's going to be right up there as a contender for one of my favourites. So, yeah, absolutely loved it. Yeah, basically, <coughs> you've summed it up pretty perfectly. I watched this earlier, expecting it would, you know, maybe have a chance of scraping in or something. It seemed like it would be up my street. Just fucking loved it all the way through, <laughs> like you say. Yeah. Uh, proper, just really cutting jokes. Um, the thing I mentioned earlier, it's so much personality in this film. No one but Boots Riley could have made this film. Um, like his, I don't really know exactly what he's like um, as a person, but I can tell um, that every scene is just full of him. Do you know what I mean? Like his humour and just yeah. loads of things that no one else would have thought of. Like the, the woman's earrings I thought were brilliant all the time. Um, and just <laughs> random things like that I just thought absolutely brilliant and just things you wouldn't normally see in film. And I think the people, I don't know, like I, I'm really glad that it didn't get an editor or it didn't because um, I think it would have sapped it of some of that. And I think exactly, what, yeah. make, what makes the film is that it's just so different to <laughs> anything else you can see. He's not scared to like be a bit uh, bludgeoning, like you say, and make points, you know, pretty sort of hard-nosed, not really, you know, not certainly not often, not even metaphorical, he's just fucking going for the point straight away. And yeah. it's great, um, but he makes those points in a kind of, I don't know, in a, 
either a humorous way or a, a way that makes you think it's just, I don't know it's just really really cutting throughout I thought the film and I think you could, I think you could do an entire podcast discussing this film and I really want to yeah, watch certainly. I really want to watch it again because I'm sure I missed so many of the messages because it's just constant like bam 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 and I was like oh my god that's so spot on that's so spot on <laughs> just yeah. made me think about things so much and yeah I just love the way he's clearly got his personality into it I thought all the characters were really well acted I loved like you say the some of the directorial choices of like dropping the person into when he's making the phone call into the person's room and yeah. there's loads of things like that and just quirky things like them living in a garage um <laughs> and uh, i don't know yeah i just i just loved it from start to finish i thought it was great and i could see why the surreal bit more surreal ending would put some people off but i thought it fit with the tone of the film and yeah, i think it does feel so. like a sketchbook of ideas but that's kind of what i love about it yeah yeah, I think that's kind of, it just feels like, and I've uh, heard an interview with Boots where he said, where he was asked like what film he would do next and he just basically wasn't sure because he said, I don't, you know, he doesn't really, he's not, he doesn't consider himself necessarily a director or a filmmaker. This is just an idea he had and he really wanted to get it made. Yeah. He, he's not necessarily thinking about doing another film. He's just, this is something he had in his head and he's like, I want to do this. And <laughs> I think that I fits, just think it's great. That fits with what I was expecting really because he has signed a deal to do a second film now. Okay. Um, but I did think, you know, it's often the case with artists, is this a film that he's put everything, his prior experiences into? Will he be able to replicate it a second time? Uh, so mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see. But it's like you say, we could sit and talk about this all day, but there's still a couple of things I just want to mention. Like the, um, <laughs> Go ahead. I love the uh, like the satire of having the TV show that pops up on, on there quite a few times. A complete satire of our um, you know, debased entertainment culture. It's just called I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me. Pe- yeah. people tuning in to see people having the shit kicked out of them uh, so I loved yeah. that and, uh, and on, a, on another level the uh, speech that um, Glover's character delivers um, to, to Cassius to advise him to use a white accent for the first time is actually just really one of the most cutting um, summaries of how racism works I think so the film isn't just you know preposterous and making its points that way is it does have you know a lot of deep deep meaning in there as well so but yeah definitely there's a a point where i I wish i could remember the exact quote but someone basically says that essentially what happens is people realize they they can't do can't do anything about a certain thing so they the only way for them to deal with it is that to then think that that's normal yeah Um, and yeah yeah, they say it a lot better than that but i was like whoa that was you know a pretty (laughs) A pretty accurate summary of how most people operate. Um, yeah, there's just so many things like that in the film. Yeah, yeah absolutely sure. loved it. Yeah, I'm so glad I watched it before this list. <laughs> I agree. I I also really enjoyed it. It did make my top ten, but not quite my top five. Um, largely for the same reasons that uh, I, you know, I mean, I loved it largely for the same reasons that you did. Really, um, pretty much consistently hilarious. Actually, despite mm-hmm. the fact you know it's not. I mean, it is a satire, obviously. It is designed to make you laugh. Um, but um, I was surprised at the hit rate. Um, and I was also surprised at how much of a coherent point it made. Because I'd read, I think I'd read criticisms, like you said, Michael, of it being kind of a, a hodgepodge of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But I didn't see it. Um, I don't really have any criticisms for it, not significant ones anyway. It just didn't quite make my top five, but um, it could have easily done. And maybe if I'd seen it a second time. I mean, certainly, um, of all the films on our list, I'm happy to to agree that it has the most significant thing to say about our current society. Um, mm. An incredible film. I'm 
I'm dubious about his next film, though, I've got to say. Because it feels like this was, you know, like something he's had in his head for 20 years or something like that. That's what I mean, yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 I hope it's not a one-hit wonder. Um, I mean, I'm definitely going to see his next film. Um, Also, was it just me who felt that there was elements of Chris Morris in this? I mean, that mainly you, Michael, but... Yeah, I can see it, for sure. Yeah, because that's it's the same sort of thing, you know, just utterly ridiculous takedowns of, uh, you know, things that develop in society. Yeah, I would say so, in that sense. Also, yeah. if it feels like I'm um, being systematically racist myself when I'm going to pick up one performance that hasn't been mentioned. Uh, obviously, it's a white guy. <laughs> but I thought that Army Hammer was deliciously repulsive. No, I did, I did mention him, though. Oh, did you? Sorry, I must have misheard that. But yeah. right, well, I, I yeah, he was he superb. Was, yeah, I mean, um, Tessa Thompson's always one of my favorites as well. She seems to not pick a bad film. Um, I can't even describe what how her role goes. Really, it's more along in the sense of she is existing in her own little world within that world. But um, mm-hmm. I'm going to need yeah. to watch this one again as well. Um, it definitely bears repeat viewing. For sure, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see it again whenever it comes out in the UK on uh, on release. So yeah, cool. Um, right, so we've we've rolled up your list, haven't we, Michael? We have, yeah. Right, okay. Um, well, I better get mine finished then. Then Clive can go on to his last one. So uh, my last film and my number one um, is Leave No Trace, which is probably no surprise if you've a keen listener to the podcast. Um, Again, I won't go over it in any great detail, but directed by Deborah Granick, starring Ben Foster and Thomasin McKenzie. Um, really, this one, again, to use the, the phrase I used earlier, hit me right in the feels. Um, a genuinely emotionally shattering film um, that I first saw on a plane, believe it or not. Um, and <laughs> I did question if I loved it as much as I did, uh, but I've seen it since, and it's every bit as brilliant. Um story about a uh, former vet you know military veteran with post traumatic stress disorder um living out in the woods um with his daughter everything changes when they are kind of forced back into society it's not the film you think it is like if you haven't seen it it's not the film that it sounds like it's going to be um it's really a really intimate character study um and i felt i felt i was it was intimate to the point where I felt like I was almost intruding, um, but it was done with such delicacy, such artful, artful direction. Um, it, it felt like a privilege almost. Um, and I think I don't. I'm not a, obviously. I'm not a psychologist. I I can't really speak on what's a good portrayal of post-traumatic stress disorder. But it seems to be in a lot of films nowadays, and I can't really speak to the authenticity. But this felt so authentic. Um, there was there was nothing melodramatic about this. There was no contrivances with the plot. Um, everything where it went felt natural. So it's not a film with you know um, any twists or turns necessarily, but it was just breathtakingly beautiful, really. And just I I was swept away by it. And um, I've watched it twice now. I'm, I'm reading. I'm just thinking about it now, and I really want to watch it a third time. But um, it's one of my favorite films of the last. 10 years probably not just last year um i know clive's seen it have you seen it at all michael no i haven't seen it no oh well in case you hadn't guessed i would heartily recommend it but um yeah 
Clive, I'm guessing that this one must have been fairly close for you to top five. Very close, yeah. Again, it was another one that was in the contention for the number five spot. I absolutely loved it. Um, I think the main thing, like you say, again, I don't know what PTSD is like, but it conveys it in a way that's like very underneath the surface and not about, I think often mental illness is a, um, I don't have mental illness myself, but I've worked with uh, mental health problems and things like that. And I think often it's conveyed as like people just having episodes of things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Now I'm just going to have this manic episode and then I'm going to be okay again. And that's kind of all it is. I mean, this film is, I think, more accurately portrayed even though I can't speak specifically for PTSD about being something that's just kind of under the surface and isn't as obvious as that and doesn't, it's not as easily explained as that. And yeah, I think the the main actor who plays is fantastic and as is the uh, girl as well. She's really brilliant. Yeah. I mean, um, th- this one really hit me by surprise as well. Like I didn't know a lot about it. I knew it was well-received critically. Like I said, I saw it on a plane um from Las Vegas, well, I can't remember which part of it, Las Vegas back to the UK. Um, so I was pretty tired when I watched it as well, um, but it absolutely <laughs> woke me up. Um, I thought it was shockingly overlooked, actually, when it comes to awards season. Even at the more, uh, even at the smaller awards, it didn't seem to get anything. Mm. I think this will be one of those films, though, that does stick around for years as a, you know, a cult classic, if you like. Um, although it, it, there's no reason why it couldn't be more ma- mainstream than it is. Um I think generally when we're making these lists, it's not just about picking the best films, which I think it is anyway, but um, it's about picking the films that just have a personal relationship with you while you're yeah, watching them. Yeah, for sure. And, and this one absolutely did with me. Yeah, definitely. That's the way I have to, because I, I don't know, you just end up feeling so many good things. The way I separate it is, is the one. Yeah. That sometimes I have a personal, uh, like you say, absolutely. connection. Awesome. Yeah, so that I totally really leave no traces. Fabulous film. Everyone should watch it. Um, right. Well, let's round up the, the last of the contenders, Clive. Uh, what is your number one? Uh, well, my number one is a film that I don't think anyone else has seen. Um, it's a film that I raved about recently um, called Minding the Gap. And I'm going to be wholly unoriginal and just read my review that I wrote. Um, <laughs> because uh, it's one of the favourite reviews that I wrote. So I think it's the best way to sum it up. Um, right, Minding That is it's a documentary. It was actually nominated for an Oscar. It got beaten by Free Solo that you mentioned, um, Al. So I can't comment as to whether Free Solo is better or not because I've not seen it. But this film is fucking amazing. It's the only film I gave a 10 to this year. Although, um, sorry to bother you, might be a contender for that. I've not thought about it yet. Um, so Minding the Gap is a documentary spanning 12 years of three um, young Americans' lives as they leave school, find work and struggle to find their identity in the world, all held together by their favourite hobby, skateboarding. Bing Lu directs a film that goes into the most intimate parts of their parts of his and their adolescence. They all skate to kind of get away from volatile family lives and to create, as Zach puts it, a family of their own that actually looks out for them. The film is essentially about navigating the gap between childhood and adulthood, but it's also about the effect our childhood has on our adulthood. Kier, Zach and Bing all handle the abuse they suffered in childhood differently, creating a fascinating story of friendship, growing up and growing apart. The decision to use Kier in the film is quite brilliant. He has a humble, good-hearted, wise and just generally likeable quality about him that is hard to not empathise with. And to be honest, I doubt I'll ever forget him. He lights up every scene he's in with a simple smile and a few honest, modestly spoken words. Bing's direction is masterful. The skateboarding uh, footage provides a nice safe space between the heavier content and the friends hanging out montages are so full of joy it's hard not to cry every time one comes on. I certainly did. The soundtrack is... Simple, but when combined with some truly beautiful cinematography, provides some of the most life-affirming moments I've seen on film for a very long time. 
I had tears in my eyes throughout much of the film, but just as many of them were tears of joy as of sadness. I'm not sure I've ever been so affected by a film. Um, Minding the Gap is a quiet masterpiece. You watch Zach, Kier and Bing develop as humans and attempt to navigate the treacherous and often alienating world of adulthood. And you come out more than a little change yourself. And in my case, a blubbering mess. Um, yeah, I've watched, as you can tell, this really, really affected me. I've watched it um, three times now, actually. It's the film I've watched the most this year, just because whenever I'm with someone, we're like, you should watch this. And uh, everyone I've watched it with has absolutely loved it as well. Um, obviously, it's not had as much of an impact the other times I watched it, <laughs> just because I know what's coming. But the first time I watched it, I literally was. It did come at a time in my life that was uh, very tumultuous, and uh, I was going through a lot of stuff and having a you know a pretty emotional time myself. But it just kind of I I've never pretty much been crying throughout an entire film before, and that was literally what happened here. Uh, <laughs> it was weird, but but kind of awesome. And yeah, I love Minding the Gap, and I've talked about personality. There's no one who could have made this film except for Bing Lu. It's completely different in that he directs um he he he's quite happy for other people to just address him while he's filming because he's part of he's part of the film like you know part of the story is his story which he kind of went into it wanting to make this documentary but didn't really realize what the story was going to be coming out of it as it turned out it kind of ends up focusing on the abuse that they suffer because that's something that they all have in common but there's also tons of other messages in there and like I say, I, th- I think the way he directs it is so personal. And like I say, he's quite happy for people to just address him as him while he's filming and to talk while he's filming. And that gives it a, a different feel to other documentaries where sometimes it feels like things have been staged. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think often they have. Um, that does not feel like the case in this film whatsoever. It, everything you, f- you feel like that he's filming is, is a, a real thing that's happened and has not been staged whatsoever and just feels like... Uh, friends hanging out and chatting about these things and yeah I thought that was super awesome and yeah it's just a really really good film and completely singular there's not I can't think of another documentary that's anything like it really I think Bing Lu's uh, pulled off a blinder here it's really bloody good so everyone should go and check it out that's my number one I've been really trying to check it out I can't find it anywhere Um, I even tried to um, you know pay for it legally yeah, believe it or not, um, but it's it's not even like on iTunes yet. It's expected at the end of the month. Um, this will definitely be one I watch um, when it becomes available. But I missed it at the cinema. Uh, I'm not even sure if it was on around here. But um, this sounds right up my street, and um, I'll take your you know passionate um, recommendation on board because this this sounds perfect to me. Anyway, I'm guessing you, you haven't seen it either, Michael. No, but it does sound really good. Yeah. Sounds worth worth a watch for sure. It's fabulous, yeah, really, really good. You definitely cool. check it out. It is. It, I watched it because it was on Hulu, and I just got a VPN and got like a free Hulu trial, right. um, which is a bit of a round the houses way to watch it. But um, it was on at the it was on at the cinema here, but I missed it um, during Chef Doc Fest, um, which was annoying. But because I would have loved to see it in the cinema. But yeah, it is. It's getting. It's got a lot of buzz since its Oscar nomination and stuff. So it'll be out soon I'm sure like you say end of the month on iTunes by the sounds of it so I'm guessing it'll also be on YouTube and all that all the Google Play even not YouTube mm-hmm. cool right we've now got the difficult part of um, deciding what the consensus top five is yeah shall I rattle down so I've written down at the bottom here you might see on the list I've put at the top the ones that have had more than one nomination and then listed the rest so I'll just whiz through that list quickly uh, so we've got You Were Never Really Here, which was nominated by 
uh, a la Michael. Sorry to bother you, nominated by me and Michael. Hereditary, nominated by Michael and Al again. The Shape of Water, nominated by <laughs> Michael and Al again. Your, your lists had uh, quite a lot of crossover. Um, mm-hmm. Leave No Trace, just nominated by Alex. Three Identical Strangers, just nominated by you, Al. American Animals, just nominated by Michael. And then Minding the Gap, Summer 1993, and Lean on Pete, just nominated by me. Um, right. I feel that... I feel that... Um you never really hear and so sorry to bother you are safe. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to bold them. You're going to bold them, right? Okay. I think I think the contenders should basically be the films that had more than one nomination plus your two number ones because they were number ones, even though I haven't seen them. So. Yeah, I agree that, with that pretty much. That's a really quick way to resolve this. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm efficient. I'm happy to ditch. Um, yeah, I loved Summer 1993, Lean on Pete, Lady Bird, but. I'm more going to be fighting for Minding the Gap and it'll be unfair to put two films that have only I've seen on the list. So I'm going to get rid of those. Um, but then we have we do have six at that point. So if we did um, the multi, all the multi-ones, we've got four. Then we've got two kind of number ones that were separate. Okay, well, if you want to put the number ones on, let's bear in mind that Hereditary was fourth, but it was fifth in both. So Yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to suggest we cut Hereditary. Yeah. Keep the passion projects... We'll yep. say we um, loved Hereditary and it was close <laughs> and we're really sorry to Ariasta, who I'm sure is fucking gutted. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, no, I agree. As someone who has uh, plugged the passion argument before, I think it's more important. I totally agree with that decision. Um, so now we just need to figure out an order. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I personally, I'm happy to have The Shape of Water as number five, despite the fact it's in multi... I feel like we should have... The, the two multi-top ones are clearly going to be top, and the passion ones as the top four with Shape of Water number five. Thoughts? No objections to that? Yeah. My, Shape anyway. of Water came quite far down in mine, even though I did really like it. So, yeah, that'll be fine with me. Cool. Sounds good to me. Um, I would argue Leave No Trace, put it above Minding the App simply because it's your number one, Al, and also it was very close to making my list. Which might just be yeah. because I've seen... It might be a case of it's getting there just because more of us have seen it, but I think that's still fair. Yeah, I mean, it's getting a bit arbitrary at this point anyway, so yeah, yeah fair enough argument. <laughs> so, um, so I think we've got the difficult decision. So let's do the maths on this. Let's do the maths. <laughs> yeah. So Sorry to Bother You was number one for Michael, number two for Clive. You Never Really Here was number two for both of us. Um, I'm going to say it has to be Sorry to Bother You was number one. Okay, it, It's got a number... The maths are higher, I think. And sorry to bother you was also high up on your list, right? Didn't miss it by it, loads. No, yeah, it would have been. I think it would have just been inside the top ten. I mean, where, where would you never any really hear have been for you? Would it, it have was, made your would top have been 10? six or seven? So it was very close, which is the only <laughs> argument I'd say for putting it top. Michael Bot, do the maths on it for us. Let's <laughs> let's say let's say it was number seven on Clive's list. A sev- sevens plus twos. Versus one, two, and eight. I wish I wish it wasn't number one on anyone's list because uh, um, that would uh, is it? Oh, is it, it's not, is it? You never really hear no, no. So no. maybe that's what swings. Sorry to bother you. It's got a bit more passion. Yeah, because it was... because I've just done the maths and it's a draw. So oh right, okay. <laughs> maybe well, that's the clincher. Gotta be. Let's let let's. I'm happy to go with sorry to bother you's number one. You never really hear number two. I think that's a strong list, yeah. And so it's a very we love lists. We love lists. Um, <laughs> we've, okay, dealt, so we've dealt with that very efficiently, I have to say. We right, should, we should yeah. be proud of that. 
we should be in charge of Brexit, shouldn't we? Yeah. Yes, we really should. Well, we'll just go there and go, um, can we have a deal where it's basically like it was, but we get all of this other stuff? No. Okay, we'll just leave it then. <laughs> no deal. Yeah. Just run um, off, um, fuck everything up. We don't need a uh, deal. So, guys, we've had a word. Turns out we had some unrealistic expectations. So it's either, you know, it's... You know, it's sitting our shit, or it's clean our ass time. You know, it's... Um... <laughs> we're going to end up sitting in our shit, Al. Yeah, probably. It turns out we're going to go back to what we had before, which was actually really good by EU standards. Who knew? Mm. <laughs> well, some people knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to point any fingers, but... Let's have a rundown anyway. So at number five, we have The Shape of Water, which is nominated by me and Michael... At number four, we have Minding the Gap, Clive's passion project. Uh, number three, Leave No Trace, my passion project. Uh, number two, very close to getting number one, but number two, You Never Really Hear, nominated by me and Michael. And at number one, we have, sorry to bother you, nominated by Clive and Michael, and narrowly missing my top five. So a very worthy winner, I think, and in these political times, very, very important. Yes. Yeah, that's a good list. It is a good point. Yeah, I like that list, yeah. It, it Quite really varied. Cool. It really couldn't be any closer between those top two. So exactly, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, um, there's, you know, it's not sport. There isn't a winner, and there aren't winners and losers. There's always there a winner, Al. Really good, <laughs> just some really good films, and if you haven't seen them all, you don't really like film, do you? Um, so um, that includes for me and Michael. We need to get off our asses and see some of the films. Mind in the gap. That's yeah. true. Oh, I'm the only one who's seen all the top five. Yeah, so I'm the best. The best fan. You're the, the winner. You, Clive wins. Clive wins. I mean, Hold I just. Up. I deliberately passion project a film that no one else has seen every year, so I can say this. Um, yeah, but, he rigs the competition. But it pays off, doesn't it? Because people think I'm well cool. So, <laughs> some, some I was, Any- I was, I was going to say that the top five lacked horses, but not to sorry uh, spoil, sorry to bother you. But do you know what? I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were making that point earlier. I didn't realise you hadn't realised No, I that. wasn't actually making that point, no. <laughs> I, was talk- I was talking about this purely about the two films that are very horsey. Um, in- Turns out there was a third. Pretty, this one's pretty fucking film. horsey. Um, <laughs> right. anyway, anyway, let's wrap this up. You, this is the first... That should be the com- episode now. It's yeah, pretty, it's pretty fucking horsey. Fucking horsey. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is the first of our comically late 2018 lists. Uh, next one you'll probably get, I don't know, could be any of them. Music, TV, <laughs> games, who the fuck knows? Literally any it'll, of the others. Literally any of those it, three, yeah. It's not going to be, be books. Yeah, it could be anything. Um, Top anyway, five. Um, uh, fucking Brexit price rises. Oh, that's, I can't even go there. I just don't Marmite, um, British passports. Actually, they're probably gonna, they're probably going to go down. I feel like this this feels like a reunion tour anyway. Um, yeah, and you know we're like take that or you know Westlife just getting back together. You know? Except we're not doing it for the doel. We're doing it for the passion. Well, you say that. I've made a lot of money from that worry-free living. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, but it- we did it. Did a joint deal with them and Disney for the for the oh, rights. And hang on, what are you saying about Westlife? <laughs> saying they're not principled. Um, I'm, I'm no comment. No comment. 
Yeah, I, I the reason I like Sorry to Bother You so much um, was I took it as an instructional manual about how to uh, make society <laughs> even less fair. So um, that's why we've got our sponsor. I think that was the message, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's anyway, why I loved about um, it. <laughs> thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, Clive's really, really happy he's back. and um, I'm actually not, Al, to be well, honest. No. It's a bit shit. It's a lot of rain. Well, um, rain. I'll give you a quick report, weather report, because you, you know the English. Yeah. When 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 I when English people ask me how the trip went, I just talk about the weather because that's all anyone gives a shit about. So um, <laughs> the weather was well. It rained for. Got the stopwatch out. Two hours for my entire seven weeks there. Got home. Guess guess how much it rained for in a row. <laughs> four. Four hours. Yeah. Four days. Yeah. Four days. Four wow. fucking days. I woke up. It was raining. It was raining until I went to sleep for Sorry, four fucking um, days. Well, this is this this is a bummer. I'll have to get this in the edit. I'll Welcome do an impression of Britain. Sorry, I'll I'll get it. We'll get it in the edit, and I'll do my famous Clive impression. Going, yeah, yeah, dead happy to be here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously how he sounds. That sounded like I'm not even sure. Some it sounded like a Swedish accent actually. It's quite meta. Yeah, so. that's what I was going I'll for. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Right, well, it, it's it's good to be speaking to you. I could be speaking to you from there, though, actually, just thinking about this. Yeah, good I don't point. know why I've we come can... back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you can, keep, keep, you can keep on track of our tax affairs while you're out there as well, or wherever you go. Well, I'm paying um, no tax, yeah. Yeah, tax is rubbish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway let's wrap this one up it's gone longer than we normally gone but that's to be expected um, we'll be back probably a week after you listen to this with another list uh, bye bye from Michael J- Johnson goodbye uh, Tara from Clive Tara Tara and tickety boo from me um, come back next time please <laughs> Damn it. I, was think- I-, I was guessing adios in my head but I was wrong oh, very right, wrong yeah. Stick around. <laughs> Stick around. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick around